Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, Nina. <laughs> what a day, what a day. Yeah, public holidays are great until you come back to all the work. <laughs> oh, no, this is just, it's just like a tough, this wave yeah. just coming over the top of you. And we've just been struck by sickness. We're just saying poor old yeah. Kim's been sick. I went on holidays and got sick. Everyone's My partner sick. got sick. Yeah. Who's spreading disease out there? Just come forward. <laughs> <laughs> we want to know. We want to say who you are, all right? All right, well, look, let's get on with it, okay, because it there's been quite a lot happen and we've got a really interesting topic about wage theft this week, which I think will have such a significant impact on business. Not the, the headline part of it, but the underlying part. We'll talk mm. about that more. Yeah. So let's go to the first pace, which is the refusal to comply with the return to work by an employee. This is the Grimmer case, pretty interesting case in a way. A guy was driving in particular route as a truck driver, saw a terrible incident arise. Very traumatised. Yeah, very traumatised by it. Got psychological support, put in his claim, claim was successful. On his return to work, they accidentally stuck the route in there and then... Yeah, the same route where he got... Yeah, but it was an accident. Yeah, All he had to do was ring up, ring up and say, look, you can't be serious. You know, do his Tom Cruise line. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be serious. <laughs> so I think that wasn't Tom Cruise. I actually think it was Jack Nicholson. But anyway, <laughs> didn't do that and then refused to come back to work. Yeah, and, and said he was under psychological stress as a yeah. result. And not surprisingly... Well, actually surprising in the workers' comp jurisdiction, <laughs> should I say. They took a common sense approach and they said you just had to make a call. Yeah. There was no reasonable basis for doing that. So yeah. His payments got suspended. Yeah. So, look, I guess that's a really important thing. When someone starts pushing back a return to work, the first thing to do is go to the medical information, check that it aligns, say to the person, don't get upset, let's check this out. Yeah. If you're right as an employer after that, what the employee does will not damage your defence of the claim, and it's yep. likely that he'll have his claim suspended. So I think a great case and a really good yep. case for employers. But do it in consultation with the insurer. Like don't just unilaterally make the decision, which is another case that we'll talk about we'll later. We'll talk about that very shortly, yeah. aren't we? Let's talk about some redundancies. This is a very small case, not that interesting case actually when you think about it, which is the United Lift case. Well, what can I say, Nina? Um, I think it's that, interesting. Yeah, you like it because you're uh, not pro-union. Yeah, but like... This was them being wrong towards the union, and I support that they, they're getting trouble for so it. So they, they put out voluntary redundancies, okay? This yeah. was during the middle of COVID. Yeah, so the New South Wales government had said 11-day stand-down for construction industry, and at the end of that period, right, at the end, they said we've got two positions to be made redundant voluntarily. Four hours before the deadline, Andrew, they chose the two unions. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's sort of just dumbass behaviour, really, isn't it? And you won't be surprised to learn they got it wrong. But I think what they got wrong, and is something, this is a good lesson, is they had material to support it. So they said it was based on a skills matrix, but it had been crafted. Yeah. Like it referred to employee who'd already been terminated. Uh, so if you build a What about the employee records they poured Caro over to destroy? So the, yeah. the, the employee, one of the affected employees had a book of complaints yeah. there, and they poured methylated spirits or Caro over to destroy yeah. it. Like this is a sort of dumb behaviour that gives all employers bad names, doesn't it? Yeah. Fun case, anyway. Fun it was case. funny. Okay, let's jump to the next one. We, we need to be more serious, don't we? <laughs> this is about pre-existing injuries, okay? And this is Noakes' case. Oh, this one's awful. Yeah, can I, before we start this, so what happened is we had a guy put in and his claim was accepted and it was a racist claim, bullying claim. 
Yeah, but and- the bullying, Andrew, can I just stress, because this one horrified me, they made a false phone call to suggest that someone he had been speaking to died. Yeah. And that he, because of his support, they like they died. That's yeah. the kind of bullying that they were subjected to. Yeah, it's terrible stuff. But what they found out through the process is that he had an underlying personality disorder and therefore they sought to have the claim terminated. Yeah, they unilaterally yeah. decided because yeah. of the IME. Because they were self-employed, because yeah. self-insured. So it's one of the risks. Can I just say to you that personality disorders have a, have a bit of a bad name in the sense that they're inclined to be not terribly amenable to treatment, they're inclined to have some bizarre behaviours that relate to the way people interact. But like all things which are narratives, just stay with the facts. Yeah. Here, when you looked at what happened to this person, it wouldn't matter whether they had three heads, a personality disorder or a bipolar disorder, they would have been damaged by it. It was inherently wrong what occurred. Yeah. So trying to find that technicality to try and get around it yeah. was just stupid and destructive. And I think you can't just assume one thing leads to another. It's not like your golden card to say, oh, an IME has determined they've got some kind of condition so I can explain away all the other wrong things. That's it. I I suppose every week we do this. We say, look, there's lots of noise going on in the workplace, but just stick with what the facts are. What happened to this guy on any reasonable basis was unlawful and was bullying. So... Mm. It had the three major elements of it. It was yeah. repeated behaviour. It was unreasonable and it hurt, humiliated, intimidated. Yeah. And it affected his safety at work. So it is definitely bullying. But even if it wasn't bullying, it's such significant misconduct that it certainly supports a psychological claim being accepted. Yeah. You've got to stop there. Like you've got to just stop and go, okay, well, it really doesn't matter what the person was. To any person, what just occurred yeah. is wrong and it is compensable. Yeah. It's just. Anyway, look at, we do have some odd cases today. I don't know what it is. I think I've let you in charge of this part, Nina, and you just did this. I wanted interesting cases. Okay, well, let's look at violent conduct because this is a really bad decision. Can I just say? This is one of the worst decisions that I've read. So in this case, this was a person who was charged with the care of people. The person it's had a disability. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and had autism, struck out, was aggressive. This is the client. Afterwards, the guy knees him to the head a couple of times and swears at him and his employment was terminated. And the Fair Work Commission, in an infinite wisdom, said, well, there was procedural failings and therefore it's not valid. Can I just say that's horseshit, okay? Because the procedural fairness doesn't overcome major acts of violence. When someone does something which is a breach of law, such a significant piece of law, procedural failings are normally overlooked by all Fair Work Commissions who go, no, look, and something's as serious as this. If you made a couple of mistakes, so be it. Okay, good. I thought your issue was that he shouldn't have been fired and I was about to No, no, a- absolute nonsense. No. This is a nonsense decision. I, I was actually going to look up who was then I decided not to. Yeah, but just to be who clear on the, the I, I don't remember, but to be clear <laughs> on the facts, it's not the fact that he restrained the person who was aggressive. He did that all properly, but then he chose to take it further and not act in self-defence. Well, let's, While let's they not were restrained. Before the restraint, he actually kicked him to keep him away, Yeah, which is pretty rough as well. But that was part of self-defence, so yeah. they were like, that's fine. But then after he properly restrained the patient, he decided to kick him in the head several yeah, times. Yeah, I just, this is terrible. Can I just say that's not a good decision? That's a terrible decision, and it's not one which would ever sustain an appeal. I think the reason why they came to that decision is because 
he the procedural deficiency was the lack that they didn't tell him he had ability to appeal, which meant that he was locked out of eight weeks of income. I don't think that would apply to every situation. Though. No, and I don't think it's a good reason for doing it. No, I don't think As so. you probably guessed by now. <laughs> All right, long service leave. Matt summarised this case, but this is one you and I deal with a lot in the meat industry. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't apply to many people, but pre-modern awards often had a provision which cashed out or not cashed out, gave a cash advantage for not having long service leave. Yeah, because like a loading. Yeah. And specifically for casual employees. Yeah, and that's the nature of industries like the mid-industry, which have always been casual. So what they say is rather than you getting long service leave, what we'll do is give you extra money in a particular way. And that's what happened in this particular case of Conroy Small Goods. At first instance, what they said is, no, the Long Service Leave Act governs and therefore you're definitely entitled to long service leave. And the full federal court, they just said, no, that's not right because the purpose of this the whole purpose of the provisions under the Fair Work Act is to sustain what was in the pre-modern awards because there was a real intention to protect those pre-modern award entitlements. Yeah, and I think the main issue is the fact that although this specific award, pre-modern award, said there was no entitlement, it actually was an entitlement that was captured in the loading. So the intention was that entitlement was already there for the employee. So... Can I say this is a really complex issue? And yeah. You and I have both dealt with this with a couple of meat industry yeah. clients. The wording around what is in the meat industry award is pretty clear, I think, yeah. as, to, as to what is the effect of long service leave. But where people have introduced enterprise agreements and, and put a, a gloss over the top of that, it becomes much more complex. So if you have a pre-modern award that attaches to your industry, be very careful around long service leave. It is not an easy issue and get advice as much. Yeah. I think the case doesn't apply to everyone, but it's a good reminder to just check your pre-modern award entitlements. Schools are another industry where that's applicable and people often forget and try to apply the current long service leave act. And it just means that you're potentially underpaying your employee quite a significant amount. Okay, we're doing well on time, I might say, because we've raced through those because we both ran together. So let's go on to the main topic for today, which is wage theft. Okay. Nina and I both wanted to talk about this partly because there are submissions in about a new submission that's been put by the federal government and DEWA, which is talking about what we as, as Australians should do around wage theft. You're aware in Victoria and Queensland there are specific criminalised wage theft provisions, yeah. um, both of which provide for 10 years for jail for intentional theft of wages and wage theft yeah, is relatively, relatively narrow, narrowly defined to not paying people their correct entitlements under an award, enterprise agreement, whatever it is. Contract, yeah. yeah. So that's what wage theft is defined under the state legislation. There is no other state or territory that has a criminalising statute that exists with it. Labor made this as a platform promise when they came in federally. Yep. And so the submissions came in, I think it started on the 9th, I think, of April. 13th of April. 13th of April, and it closed on the 12th of May. Yep. We're not going to be making any submissions. I just thought I'd let you know because we're running around seeing clients. But it's sort of dramatic in a number of ways. They've set out a number of propositions. I think, from our view, I think we're both on the same page with this. Yeah. What there will be is a tiered response. In other words, intentional conduct, reckless conduct, and then failure. Yeah. They've said that it could be any of the three options, but... We all know it's going to be the tiered approach. Like the government's going to want to capture all forms of underpayment. Yeah. So, but I think the part that interests us, and I'll get Nina's got a bit more detail than I have, although she's struggling today because it's been a busy day. (laughs) 
The part that I'm really interested in is cashback arrangements and deductions will be deemed to be wage theft for the purpose of this new legislation. That's quite yeah. novel. Yeah, that's not in any of the existing state-based legislation and I think that's probably the one that's going to impact businesses the most because the businesses we work with do not purposely underpay their workers because we work with good people. But a common issue we face is when people think, you know, you can deduct for PPE, deduct for vaccines, deduct for insurance, things like that, and it doesn't quite meet the test under the Fair Work Act to be a permitted deduction. And remember, under the Fair Work Act, it has to be reasonable, not a, not for the employer, but there has employee. to be a benefit, be for the benefit, the of, the benefit of the employee. So mm-hmm. there's some drafting that can get around many things to assist yeah. with that, but at any time that an employee raises their hand, even if they agreed to it in contract, yeah. they can resolve from it at a later time. Yeah. So getting deductions is an inherently dangerous thing. The other part is that provision under the Fair Work Act is not an old provision, it's a new provision within the Fair Work Act and therefore historical practice prior to the Fair Work Act are making those sorts of deductions. Now, look, we see them most in foreign workers who have provided labor housing. Labour hire agreements. Yeah, labour hire yeah. agreements and things like That's that. So, And I, it will now criminalise that behaviour. It will criminalise that behaviour. Yeah. So, look, I guess the issue for the two of us has been this. One, the smartest people struggle to properly analyse what awards mean. Yeah. To, yeah, well, that's right. That's why <laughs> that's why Nina does that, and I don't. It becomes even more difficult when you add an enterprise agreement above it, and you add contracts above that. Yeah. Okay, and that's that is in fact what happens in most workplaces. You have that combination of at least two of those, maybe three of those. So most payrolls are wrong, and what we've found with our clients are through no intention of the client, but there will be these mistakes that occur. They're not usually big mistakes. It's commonly around loadings and other things like that where you have wrapped up salaries as part of a contract which you can't wrap up as part of an enterprise agreement or award. I want you to go back and look at those. Yes, please. Uh, Please go back. And also where there is a return of cash, you know, where someone does something and they pay. Yeah, cashback schemes. Cashback schemes. That's going to be criminalised as well. I want you to think really carefully and have a look, do your own audit and go, do we have these? Then say, okay, where is my entitlement to do it? and then go to the National Employment Standards and see, it's actually not that easy to pass the test. Yeah, and the threshold now for underpayment under these new proposed laws, it's not based on you having knowingly doing it. That's one of them. So those people who purposely underpay the employees. That's off to jail. Yeah, but it will cover anyone who knows there is a significant risk of an underpayment occurring and not doing that due diligence to ensure that it doesn't occur. And, and that covers so many more people. It does. And it's also the other thing is they're interested in courses of conduct rather than once-off errors. So mm. on the other side, what they're looking for is courses of conduct because a course of conduct shows that someone has applied their mind to an issue yeah. and they're continuing to perpetuate that error that has occurred. So the risks for HR managers here, really, really high. Okay, yeah. Again, over the last six to eight weeks, we've been saying that HR managers are going to get into more trouble much more easily with much more serious consequences. This is straight squarely at an HR manager, okay? Yeah. I mean, it's going to cover officers, but they'll probably be covered under accessorial liability, especially because they're considering criminalising any issues with, like, paperwork as well. Like, if you are hiding payslips, not having timesheets, falsifying records... All of that is probably going to be captured as well, yeah. which it's not in any of the states. So, look. Oh, I think Victoria. Yeah, Victoria it is. But I think the important part is this is going to happen. 
it'll probably be six to 12 months before we see the draft of the legislation. So you've got this opportunity that sits there now. In Victoria, by the way, you don't have this opportunity much because the wage inspectorate is active at the moment, actually chasing stuff down. But please go and do your audit. Yeah. If you're wrong, fix it. Fix it now. You don't just speak and to don't your, wait to be prosecuted. Yeah, just don't wait to be prosecuted. Just get it done because in a year's time, if you are still doing it, the effects of that will be very, very dramatic. And the maximum penalties are going to be significant. They're looking at above $4 million, I think. And they're looking at options, maybe having the employees pay three times whatever the underpayment was. Yeah. And they're looking at jail. Yeah. For individuals who are involved. So remember, we've talked also about governance. When we see the penalising of officers, it's operational officers. Okay. Yeah. It's officers with a clear knowledge of what's happening. This is another piece of legislation that goes towards the governance responsibility of officers, officers making reasonable inquiries. Their failure to make reasonable inquiries may not mean they go to jail, but it will mean they're still liable. So we won't have the problems we've got at safety at the moment where officers who get into trouble for reckless endangerment or industrial manslaughter or people are operational, that a person has said climb on that roof. Here, absolutely true, okay? You're probably not going to go to jail if you didn't make an inquiry, but if you fail to have as part of your audit process that people are being paid correctly, if you fail to follow up on a complaint that's been raised about, yeah. look, we think things aren't being paid properly, yep. boy, are you going to be in some strife. Yeah, or if you don't just review your contracts every mm. year, there's an annual wage increase. That in itself is not following your due diligence. No. All right. Anyway, look, that's... I think it's interesting. This is the second week in a row we've brought changes of legislation which are coming through. Yeah. There's been a massive raft of legislation brought through by Labor to hit their platform. Yep. They are going to be adopted. Yeah, and I think just thinking about the kind of landscape we're dealing with, you know, there's a real focus now on reasonable hours. There's all this test case coming. If this comes into play and then you have the reasonable hours passing as well, there's a lot of industries and businesses at risk. Then. Well, when you think about the four major industries that we act in, the average hours are all over 46 hours. Yeah. So you can see where the risk is sort of sitting straight away, can't you? Okay, let's get on to the case study. <laughs> Do we look a bit battered today? I just <laughs> we feel a bit battered today. The lighting's good. It doesn't, I've, it doesn't done, look I've done two presentations today and one talk to camera. This is number four for me. Nina. Yes. Okay. Mickey was a senior salesman at Big Pools, proprietary limited, BP. BP built pools for domestic use. They sold mainly to volume builders. Kyle was the project manager at Fast Homes, a domestic volume home builder throughout Melbourne for the south southeastern suburbs in Melbourne. <laughs> Breathe. <laughs> Don't do it too fast. The market was tight. Mickey's boss, Lance, drove his team hard. Each morning they had a sales meeting where everyone's sales targets and performance were discussed and what was needed to improve it. Mickey was the poorest performer over the last three months. He had separated from his wife and was struggling. Lance was very direct with him. Mickey hadn't told Lance about his separation. At meetings, Lance would ask Mickey what he intended to do about his underperformance in front of others. There's more. Mickey had some anger management problems in the past. It's part of why his wife left him. She had been subjected, she said, to mainly psychological violence, but at times that turned into physical aggression. He had choked her once, requiring emergency hospitalisation. Your ones are getting so much more morbid. Mickey complained to HR about Lance's treatment of him. I explained that sales always met collectively. It was a robust culture and he had to lift his game. 
All of them were happy to help. He just had to ask for it. Late one Friday afternoon, Carl met Mickey on site. Carl was pretty upset as the pool dimensions that had been agreed were not what was being constructed. Unquestionably, this was a problem of BP, not Fast Homes. But Mickey didn't like the way Carl spoke. At first he said, let me look into it, but Carl was insistent. He wouldn't let it go. Mickey's temper started to boil up inside him and he told Carl to F off and stormed off. Mickey had only worked at BP for 18 months. All right. So the questions are, was Lance's behaviour toward Mickey in the meeting bullying? Now, can I just, before we try and answer that, say, remember, bullying is at the extreme end of misconduct. And it's got to be repeated. Yeah. But I want you to understand that it's at the extreme end. Now, there is a case directly on this, which is a banking organisation where salespeople in a bank met together. And it's very common for sales to meet together and to have these discussions. And what this was one of the very first decisions that came out. And what the Fair Work Commission said at the time, look, it is repeated. It could hurt, humiliate or intimidate and it could affect the safety at work, but it's part of the reasonable management action of what was occurring. I don't think that decision was terribly right, can I say? Yeah, I don't feel like it was reasonable Remember, that's a defence for bullying order. But yeah. my point about this is it doesn't matter whether it's bullying. If it's bullying, so be it. He can go and make his application it's to the Fair Work Commission. Hazard, it's a psychological hazard. Yeah. You know, in the Fair Work Commission over the last three years, it's gone from 820 complaints to 780 to 602 in the last year. Of oh, bullying complaints. Uh, only six of which went to hearing. It's a jurisdiction that is dying on the vine. Oh, for stop bullying yeah, orders. Yeah, stop bullying yeah. orders. Yeah, they're useless. But what this really is is a safety issue. If he's raised the complaint, and what's grown exponentially over the last two years is adverse actions where people raise a complaint or are treated unsafely and bring adverse actions claim. Whatever happens here is Lance's behaviour is bad. Yeah, I just think that's poor support. Yes, you performance manage someone, but you don't do it in front of the entire team. No, you don't. And it doesn't sound like he's doing it to anyone else, so it's no organisational justice there. Yeah, okay, so let's move on. Did Lance and or BP act in breach of safety law? And if so, what was the breach and who would be liable? So we've agreed now it's already a breach of safety law. Yeah. It's certainly a breach of primary duty, which is providing a safe place of work. Yep. So this, yeah. Does it get higher than that? Well, the answer for Lance is... It's definitely a breach of Section 25, by the way, Section 25. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just thought I'd raise that, not 26. 25. <laughs> Duty towards other employees, yeah. Duty towards other employees. So but I, I don't think it would go further than that. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think anyone's going to prosecute. What I do think, though, is it is unquestionably at the very beginning, as you've said, of psychological hazards. He treats one person differently to others, unacceptable. He places pressure on people in front of others. Yeah. So it's psychological hazard. But also it's an interesting scenario, Andrew, because Mickey is also not a stellar employee. It's not a situation where... No, Mickey's a bum. Mickey's yeah. not a stellar employee. Mickey's hopeless. <laughs> yes. So it's this difficult situation where you have a bad employee. It's, the answer is not to be bad back. No, you that's know, right. Two wrongs don't make a right. And you can performance management. I wasn't them. expecting biblical stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you can change them, them, and if it had been done reasonably, then he wouldn't be at risk under any of the laws. No, that's exactly right. Anyway, so let's go on. I'm going to go three. Mickey went to see his doctor and put in a workers' compensation plan <laughs> for psychological, psychological stress from the bullying. Would he be successful? The answer is absolutely. Because it's not reasonable management action. It was performance management. For the stuff, yeah. 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 So can, if he's got a psychological injury, that is, if he is injured and there's a diagnosis that goes with it, 
was the management of him, was it reasonable for there to be management? Yes. So there's a tick for yeah. the first part of regional management action, which I can hardly say. Was it done in a reasonable way? No. no. So the claim would be accepted. Now, can you start to see how expensive this gets? Yeah. Would it have been different if they were still having the same conversations, Lance was still writing him about everything, but he did it in a private room? No problem at all. No mm. problem at all. Probably the workers' compensation law, because it's such a Gumby law, if he didn't offer him a support person, if he didn't hold his shoulder while he, I don't know. But <laughs> there's a lot of risk in workers' comp. But I think you're right. If you had to said to him, look, these are your performance issues, this is what good looks like, what support do you need? If it was documented and well done, it would be reasonable management action every time. There's a slight difference. Saves you a lot of money. does. Okay, next question. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is moving as slow as our brains. It's great, isn't it? When Mickey got back to the office, Kyle had rung Lance. Lance then called Mickey into an office and asked him, why he shouldn't terminate his employment for serious misconduct. Mickey explained what happened and Lance then terminated him. Would Mickey have a successful claim for unfair dismissal? Yeah, there was no proper process. <laughs> well, I think also swearing at somebody on a building site is not enough to terminate anybody when you think about it. No, and to walk off, yeah. yeah. I think he did it, I read it, that he did it as a way so that he wouldn't Result involved. <laughs> <laughs> he was really yes, saying that. That guy just didn't know how lucky he was. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was letting me take him back. <laughs> okay, we're going to do this early in the morning next time. But my point about it is there wouldn't be a valid, I don't think there's a valid I reason. reason. You don't and get there's no the, procedural fairness. No, but but for right procedural there. fairness, not yeah. even valid reason. Yeah. So I, I think the answer is he would succeed. <laughs> As part of the show, Cause interview, Lance said, you are just too difficult to manage. Always full of complaints, I want to put it. This is the case. Would Mickey have been successful in a general protections claim? No, because that's not the reason why he was being terminated. <laughs> Could be you actually expand on that a bit? <laughs> well, <laughs> the viewers out there. <laughs> because the reason he's being terminated is because of that final incident. If he's got, if Lance has the evidence to support that, which he walked off and he said, why did you walk off and why did you swear at them? And then your question says that, oh, you know, he explained why and then he fired him. Then I think, yeah, that supports that it wasn't for that reason. Yeah. The other complaints. But it's a reverse onus. Yeah, so the other thing I just put in there is this. Sometimes you say dumb stuff when you're under pressure and when you're actually dealing with a um, a situation where you're thinking of terminating, stuff comes out your mouth because your anxiety levels are high. And the fact is Mickey had raised complaints about Lance, we know that, and about the manner in which Lance had treated him. And therefore it could be that part of what was activating Lance's mind was the fact, well, you've complained about me, this is my opportunity. So I agree with Nina. What Nina said is on the facts we have here, what activated Lance's mind to terminate him was his misconduct. Yeah, because that's to be the substantial and operative reason. That being said, the guy, Mickey would file the claim and Lance would, it makes it more difficult, the fact that he said that. So it's yeah. not a sure thing either way. But, yeah, I yeah. still think So, look, I, I come back to something you and I repeatedly say, which is when you're going into a meeting to deal with discipline, please plan properly beforehand. Yes. Please be aware that your anxiety levels are going to be high. You're, good, you're a good person. Yep. Your emotions are going to be high. Know what you're going to say when you go in there and try and stay on, on line. Yeah, and if you feel that you're getting swept up in it, just take a break. Yeah. Take five minutes, step outside, collect yourself and come back in and get it done right. So look, I don't believe there's any other questions, and I wrote this. 
So there you are. That's an unhonorable. That pops up Laura's in a lot of strife. That's all I can say. She sticks in another question. Thanks for coming. Yeah, for running to get here. That was really yeah. impressive. Thank you much, thank everyone. Thank you for joining us. And putting up with us. And please put a thumbs up. Thumbs up, please. Because it was a fun episode. <laughs> Bye. See you later. Bye-bye.